Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message, Rolling Stones, part two of the Double Portion series by Pastor John. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. love this time of year. You know, Paula um, was talking about Hanukkah, and um, I just love that God uh, has such a heart for the children of Israel, for the people of Israel, and uh, the history, the, the richness of the history of their story. And uh, today I want to talk about some of their story and how it affects us and how we have been brought into their story, the very story of God, and share with them in that. But uh, I'm going to pray real quick. (laughs) So, Father, we love you. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Holy Spirit, we embrace you. If it wasn't for you, gosh, I don't think we'd have much of a life. So we just embrace you today. We, We invite you to speak to us and to move and to shift our hearts and our thoughts and our emotions any old way you want to. Lord, we thank you that you are transforming us into that image of Christ, the one who walks perfectly with his Father. We thank you, Holy Spirit. Come and do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you all know, how many were here last week? Okay, so most of you. I started uh, a series last week. I, I was kind of... Um, not sure if it was going to turn into a series, but it is. It's a series called The Double Portion. And I asked last week, who wants a double portion? Last week, y'all were like, ah, double portion. I want a double portion. Who's received a double portion? That's right. We've received the double portion. We really have. Um, Anyway, so this series is going to unpack what the double portion is all about. And uh, last week, uh, this idea of double portion is connected to the idea of Christian baptism. And I think that, um, I know that I've got some folks that want to get baptized. And I'm so excited about that. And we started talking about what baptism means. And I've had other folks I've ministered to that had differing opinions, even though they're married, about what baptism was all about, how baptism saves you, and how the different denominations have their particular lens that they look through, uh, whether it saves you or whether it's just a prophetic act. How many of you heard in church, uh, because uh, most of us are uh, more of a charismatic affiliation, how many of you always heard that when somebody get, would get baptized, the preacher would talk about baptism, they said, well, baptism doesn't save you, but it's a symbolic act of an inward, uh, an inward reality. How many of you have heard it explained like that? Okay, so I've got that on one hand, and then the other group that says, no, baptism is necessary for salvation. And uh, last week I told a story of us doing some marriage counseling and the, the two couples were come from different backgrounds or the, the two individuals came from different backgrounds and they had this dispute going on that they wanted the, the man of God to settle. And I said, you're both right. You're both right. So, but I, I started this series last week talking about the double portion. We were looking at the relationship of Elijah and Elisha. Now, why is that important or what does that have to do with baptism? Well, I pointed out that at the, this is a summary of last week. I pointed out that uh, the last thing we heard from Malachi was that uh, he would that the Lord would send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the children of the fathers, lest he strike the earth of course. And when Jesus shows up, Jesus is telling people, "If you can swallow this, Elijah has come. He was John the Baptist." So that there's this ministry of baptism that is in the spirit of Elijah that is the very thing that is all about fathers and sons returning to one another in their hearts, that there's this re-engagement of this process, which is the continuation of what God had always had in his plan of redemption from the beginning. So I'm getting some blank stares. Am I 
making myself clear with what I'm saying, that the spirit of Elijah that Jesus said has already come in John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist. We know that uh, even to this day that Jews are actually looking for Elijah. He never died, that he would just, you know, maybe come in a chariot. We don't know how he's going to come, but he's going to return and he will usher in the day of the Lord. And yet Jesus testified in more than one place that John the Baptist, that he was the Elijah. He is the Elijah that is to come. And so it's about the ministry. So what I'm saying is that in this baptismal experience that we have, that is the Christian experience, it's, it's not that baptism is uh, derived from nowhere as if it, it was exclusive to Christianity. The idea of baptism was going on long before uh, Christ came but this very spirit of Elijah came baptizing and introducing this concept to the world. So what I'm saying is that we're looking at the idea of baptism. When we say that baptism saves us, it's not the, it's not the, uh, the dip or the dunk necessarily, but it's not that nothing happens when you're dipped or dunked either. Uh, today I want to talk about uh, the initiation. It's an initial beginning when you get dunked, when you get dunked. But baptism, uh, throughout the, the New Testament, you see all these other strange illusions or, or um, discussions about baptism as this holistic experience of the Christian faith. So when Paul talks about not your faith, but the faith, this baptism, this life that we've been immersed in, that's what baptism is about. It's about your old self dying and something completely new. You've been changed into something else. And now you are in a family, you are in a group that is learning. And so really it's about becoming a disciple. And that's why Jesus's ministry and our orders from the king was just go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. I'll be with you forever. Hallelujah. So anyways, I, I, I know that, I don't know, some people probably like, you know, bullet points and more simple ways to look at it. And you've got a pastor that's kind of deep, so bear with me on that, you know. Um, but there is the um, five eyes of baptism. And this is just something the Lord gave me and, and ways to understand um, and I, and I, I know that there is kind of a trajectory with the process that God is doing inside of us, but I think we need to remember that, and I need to make clear that it's not a stair step, like a 12-step program. It's, it's not a five-step program. It's not like that. These are the layers and elements about baptism that is about the holistic experience as a Christian believer. So, and you're like, well, why does this matter? Why are we getting into all this? I mean, you know, we love Jesus. We've been forgiven. Can't we just move on? I, I think that there are ways in which that historically we preach the gospel and we do it with leaving out a lot of elements, not on purpose necessarily, but for the sake of keeping it simple. And I think that when we do that and get in arguments about what it means, uh, we actually wind up getting to a place where a lot of it just gets left behind and people get the wrong idea and then church actually gets shaped by church attendance and not necessarily by the gospel. Would you all agree with that, that that's something that happens? Okay. So last week, the, the first die was the invitation. How many of you glad that uh, when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that, he, that he's the one that extended through his uh, redeeming love and through his heart to extend his hand towards humanity to actually rescue and save. He's that father looking by the window for the prodigal son to come home. That's, that's, that's the invitation, hey, come this way. There, there's, there's no such thing as a Christian experience where you just poof, kind of woke up one day to the fact that you were a Christian. There was an invitation. Last week we spent all our time on that. The, uh, the, and I used the story of Elijah and Elisha uh, to kind of mirror Jesus says, follow me, or Paul's imitate me as I follow Christ, where Elijah had thrown the cloak on Elisha, thrown his mantle. And the point being that it's more than just being 
uh, rescued or escaped from, from wrath or even escaped from your terrible position. Uh, I think what the Holy Spirit is really saying is that that, that wasn't, that's only one half of the coin, that you're, you're, you're actually uh, removed from your situation. The reason why you die in the baptismal waters and come to life, to, to a resurrected life, is so that you can actually live that life. Live the very life of God, that we actually step into what belongs to God, that what was ours is not there anymore, even though we have remembrance of it. But God actually takes and he redeems what was there and he turns it into something else that actually walks in stride with God's very own story. To me, that's the most exciting thing ever because the Christian life and experience isn't just so that we would escape something. It's so that you could be delivered into something far more better than you could ever imagine. But it's his story that he's invited us into, that he's injected us into his story. Does anybody want to know more about that? Hallelujah. I think that, you know, I started talking about Hanukkah a little bit. I think that it's important. The Holy Spirit told me this morning as I was taking a shower, he said, you need to just mention this. When we talk about salvation, salvation for a Jewish person uh, didn't have to do with going to heaven when they die. You realize that? That's when when we get in arguments, when we take Paul's... uh, description of law versus grace and trying to earn things. Uh, he was speaking to Jews because of the, the long history of, of their perception of the way things worked. And it was pretty real. For a Jew, salvation didn't mean going to heaven when you die. For a Jew, salvation had everything to do with this long track record of walking with their God, Yahweh, and him calling them out and calling them by name and actually giving them a purpose and a life to carry his very presence in the earth, to be a blessing to all nations. And you know the history if you've read the Old Testament. I think if we were to say, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter. All you need is the New Testament. We have really sold ourselves short. Matter of fact, I would propose that if you don't study and understand the Old Testament, you will never understand the New Testament. You are missing all of it because... Uh, most of the New Testament, if not all of it, is quoting the Old Testament and bringing it to fulfillment of meaning in Christ Jesus. Y'all know what I'm saying? So it matters that we actually step into the story of God. But for Jews, salvation was all about we are walking with the Lord. We've been delivered. So there is this deliverance, this breaking off of the past. There is this deliverance that, oh yeah, the name of this particular message is Rolling Stones. It's the initiation, this first act. Sorry. But the, the, for, for the Jews, the story of the Jews is that they had gone into slavery after having already had promises and been separated unto God as a family, and they get over into uh, a famine and trouble in Egypt, and they're enslaved for hundreds of years. And then God delivers them through Moses, and they experience, according to Hebrews, a baptism as they baptized into Moses. Moses was their rabbi. There's something about following a rabbi through the waters. And as they went through the Red Sea and the enemy was washed away, they encountered a baptism, a completely new life on the other side. And as we know, the first order of business is to go to Mount Sinai and the voice of God begins speaking and saying, you're my special people. Consecrate yourself today for we're going to have a holy convocation. So this is some of the history of Israel. And they get the law. He gets, they get the Ten Commandments. And that's more like a, a constitution. This is more like than a list of rules. This is, like, this is what makes you a people group. This is, how you, this is how you honor and follow Yahweh. And it, most of it, as we know, uh, summed up by Jesus, is it's all about how you treat your neighbor. And treating God by, with love all your heart, mind, soul, and strength is to actually treat your neighbor as yourself. And so all the rest of the the, uh, commandments fall under that. Now what I'm saying, back to the idea of salvation for them, was that as they practiced and participated in the law, there was prosperity, there was victory, there was the miraculous happening all around them, there was this, this understanding that the people of Yahweh are really something special in the earth because the other nations worshiped other gods and ate the fruit of that. And as you know that 
wickedness actually causes the land to vomit people groups out. But see, Israel had this, I, I, this blessing of Yahweh that was bringing them into the promised land to give them their inheritance and to, for that they would prosper and be blessed and the whole culture that goes with it, okay? So what I'm saying is that if you read through the books of Kings 1 and 2 and Chronicles 1 and 2 and even the, the words of the prophets, that whole season of life after they got into the promised land was kind of plagued with this, as we remember to cherish and honor Yahweh, then the blessing of God and, and, and this um, sovereignty nationally and all this stuff was in, intact. It was like heaven and earth together, that God's very presence as the temple is the center, the epicenter of their culture, that God's presence was among them. God was with them. He walked them through the waters. He walked them through the wilderness, and he brought them into their land, and he was there in the temple. Y'all follow me? So that salvation for them was when every time that they began to mix with the rest of the cultures around them and change the story of Yahweh and to embrace other ideas, that it would cause those very enemies that they embraced to overtake them. Because that's what happens when we embrace something that's not Yahweh. We get ate up by whatever it is that we embrace. Does that make sense? So salvation for them was always in the law. If we can get back, if you remember Ezra and Nehemiah in that season, the second temple period, that when they got to go back and rebuild the walls, that everything to do with, we remember the law of God. They dug out the books and went, oh my, oy vey, what have we been doing? And they genuinely repented and God came back and God started doing miracles again and his loving kindness and his faithfulness and all of it. They stepped right back into the good history of their fathers. Am I making sense? So for them, salvation wasn't about going to heaven when they died. Salvation was about being restored to a life that is glorious with God's presence. A life of one Oneness with their God, with Yahweh, one of prosperity, one of legacy for their children, one of inheritance, one of unspeakable glory. To, to get back to national sovereignty where they didn't have enemies pillaging them and perverting their very understanding of the universe. Does that make sense? Okay, so that was groundwork. Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the season uh, where the Maccabees, uh, the two brothers, um, I think it was Judas and I can't remember his brother's name, Far, sorry. The, the Greeks had actually overpowered um, the Jews at that time and had so uh, defiled, as Pala put out, de defiled, they, they sacrificed a pig on the altar to Zeus and they had so uh, defiled the temple that the people of God had just had enough. And God rose, rose up the Maccabee brothers, and they, with this small band, uh, overpowered the Greeks and threw them out. And then they rededicated the temple. Does everybody know this already? Maybe it's his old hat for a couple of you. But they, they rededicated the temple. But the specific thing was that everything had been so ransacked, they only found one bottle of oil, and they, they needed uh, eight days' worth, and God made that oil last for eight days to keep the lamp burning. Now, how many of you know that the Levitical priests... It was their job to always keep the menorah, the, the, the lamp burning because there should be fire in the temple. There should be light and warmth and all those things that it's symbolic of God's very presence being in the temple. And so I think that for us stepping into uh, that story and celebrating with the Jews, we can bless them and say that's so, that's so right on that there would be that rededication of the temple. And how many of you know that the temple in Jerusalem is not there anymore and it is very much alive in the people of God because our bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that concept still bears true of us keeping that oil of God, keeping, keeping the law of God, keeping, keeping the story of God intact uh, so that we too may walk in that freedom and in that life to bless the whole entire earth. Amen? So, <clears throat> the story of God matters. The story of God's people matters. 
the, the fulfillment done in Jesus was that all of the uh, stumbling and all of the failure to actually stay true, that Jesus came and he fulfilled Israel's role. And now, through the Holy Spirit, we step into that place of sonship, and we have been grafted into the people of Israel. I, I just think that that's, anytime that we feel like the Old Testament doesn't matter, or we try to make the, the Christian experience and the Christian story uh, almost separated, or, or a lot of space between us and, and, and them, I think that it, it makes stuff get real fuzzy. And it's, it's not supposed to be that way, that uh, Christianity actually is the fulfillment of Judaism. Now, there's a lot of extras in Judaism that are, you know, stuff that probably is unnecessary. <clears throat> but there's a lot of stuff in Christianity that's probably unnecessary too. All right, enough of that. So last week, <clears throat> we talked about this story of the relationship between Elijah and Elisha. <clears throat> and how many of you know that the double portion language comes from uh, something that Elisha said to Elijah, and <clears throat> right as Elijah is being taken up into glory. And it was basically, he asked for that double portion, and Elijah said to him, that's a really hard thing that you've asked. Um, but we see, as, as we uh, move into this um, thing that God is calling us into as a church, uh, to really pour into the next generation, to really shore up our discipleship mentoring uh, reality in this church, that that really is the spirit of Elijah moving in the body of Christ, in the earth today, to bring about the things that Lord wants to bring about. And so that's really what I want to talk about, but it matters uh, as far as this idea that God constantly... You know, when he has a relationship with his people, with any person for that matter, he doesn't just start from zero. <laughs> he, he actually sews and stitches us into the story of the people of God. Can we just all like take a minute and say, that, that is my reality? So that in other words, if we have a Christian experience that is like, it's me and Jesus over here, making our own story. How many of you know that's not a legit, that's not how it works. That's not a legit situation. That may start that way, and that may be our perception because we don't know any better, but the reality is that you've been immersed, you've been baptized into the very life of God. Does that make sense? Everybody agree? You don't have to agree. I'm just telling you this is the truth. <laughs> My humble yet accurate opinion. But based off of these repeated stories and storylines throughout the Old and New Testament, that God does that. He doesn't erase the story and go, well, that didn't work. Let's start over. No, he grafts us in to that story. And he actually makes us part of the story. And how many are thankful for that? I am so thankful that the Acts in the New Testament, that's what that's about. We see the New Testament church begin walking in these things. So, Last week I read Second King. I read some First Kings nineteen and twenty, I think, too. But I read Second Kings uh, chapter two, which is that story where Elijah is about to leave, and Elisha is following him around. And I thought that I would get through all of that, and I did not. But they actually go. You see this cat and mouse thing going on, where it's incumbent upon us as disciples and even believers uh, that have this baptismal experience going on, this immersive lifestyle that God intends for us, it's incumbent upon us uh, to not only pursue after those that have walked in front of us, but to pull someone from behind. That is absolutely critical. It's just the way it works. It's the, it's the cycle of the love and the life of God because it's his desire that no man should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. And everlasting life isn't just, I mean, a deathbed confession is better than nothing, but it's, it's about stepping into the very life of God. And so we see this process of uh, baptism that uh, is the uh, highlight of Elijah's uh, career being passed on to Elisha. And so in 2 Kings, you see the story, we read it last week, where they make this little journey. 
They go from Gilgal uh, to Bethel to Jericho um, to the Jordan. They cross over the Jordan. That's where he asks for the double portion, and the, he keeps his eyes fixed on him. I'll not leave you. I'll not leave you every time he tries to ditch him. He keeps his eyes focused on Elijah as he goes up in the chariot of fire. He cries out, my father, my father. This is significant for the prophecy in Malachi. My father, my father, and his mantle, the, the symbol of the anointing that was on Elijah, falls to Elisha. And Elisha crosses back over the Jordan. And all the sons of the prophets actually see, and they're now aware that this is the person that they're going to hold on to as they continue in the same process of raising up more. So I want to talk about what is Gilgal about? Gilgal was the first place that they came from. It's important that we understand what's going on with Gilgal, but it's also important to understand that they left Gilgal because they went on. They, they were stepping into the story, this uh, timeline of God, so to speak. So I'm not going to read it. We read it last week, but maybe the first verse here of it. First, uh, Second Kings chapter two, first verse. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take Elijah uh, up into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And we'll talk about leaving Gilgal. And for my tech team up there, I'm skipping a lot of that. I don't want to read all that again. <clears throat> so this journey that they go on is actually traversing the history of God and his people. I think that it matters for us as disciples, as part of the discipleship process, to actually walk in some of those steps, to be familiarized with the activity of the redeeming work of God throughout human history. It's a stepping into God's redemptive story. I think that there's a a need for us to, to know that that's what's going on, to embrace it, and to let it become ours. Gilgal itself, that word, that's kind of a strange word. It means uh, a wheel rolling. So there's this idea about our immersive uh, experience that our baptism isn't just a static one-off. Our baptism is actually this movement of God. It's an actual uh, road that we travel. Does that make sense? So Gilgal, I'm going to read you, let's, let's look at some Joshua because historically Gilgal, the name Gilgal and even the, the place of Gilgal is significant to why this matters. So Joshua 4, this is, uh, if you want to turn there in your Bible, I think we have it on the screen too. Joshua 4, starting in verse 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. The Jordan River is where they crossed into the promised land. Once they crossed that river, they were, they were in. Kind of like baptism. Not kind of like baptism, a baptism. It's like the water. Uh, they even baptized people in the Jordan today. That's a big deal. It's where Jesus was baptized. Probably at this same spot, actually. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. I just got to point out that this process that we're talking about, this is second generation. Again, walking in the footsteps of those that went before them. See, the first generation, even though they were baptized in the Red Sea into Moses, as you probably know the story uh, of the Exodus, that even though they had been removed from slavery and removed from Egypt, 
it was very hard to get the Egypt and the slavery out of them. And I think that that is a critical thing for us to understand, that it was the, the children, that whole generation died in the wilderness, so they didn't die in slavery, but yet internally they were still in bondage. Does that make sense? They were not able to actually glorify Yahweh for what he was actually doing, but instead were ate up with me, 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 me all the time and their immediate need for what they felt like was resources, and they couldn't stop but be tempted to, every time they got in a pinch, accuse God of the worst, the actual opposite of what he was doing. Instead of deliverance, you've brought us out here to die. And, you know, you've read the story of the Exodus. There's multiple occasions of this where large groups of them would die by serpents or the ground swallow them whole or uh, practice immorality in front of everybody. And then the, the whole Cosby thing with Phineas and the spear where plague had taken out 26,000 people. This, they went over these things. And I think that as we step into the life of the history, the, to the history and the story of the people of God, uh, we, we talk about the fullness in Jesus and uh, almost want to wipe our hands of any such uh, possibility of us, but it looks a little different for us. You know, there is a way in which that we could live like that first generation that, uh, you know, we get delivered from our slavery and bondage, but we never step into the promised land the life of God that he intended full of provision and blessing and dignity. Dignity is a thing that God actually has for us as a believer that is full of life and full of embracing the story. It matters that we would actually take stones out of the river as a testimony and set them up so that for generations people walk by and go, what is that? That's a pile of redeemed memories right there. That's Isaiah 61. That's prisoners that have been set free, not just from the bondage, but they've been given oil of joy for mourning. They've been given beauty for ashes. Garment of praise, you're dressed in a gratefulness and this understanding of how wonderful he is and just what he's done instead of mourning over the loss of all the screwed up stuff that you just came from. Does that make sense? If you keep reading in Isaiah 61, he says, they're the ones that will rebuild the ruined cities, raise up former desolations. Glory to God. Isaiah 61, it's hard not to get excited about that. But that's, that's the deal right there, that uh, we step into this cycle of the redeeming love of God and how he brings his people out of slavery, out of bondage, but even more than that happens at Gilgal, and I want to explain it. Andrew, can I talk about your life at all? Yeah? Okay. I got to spend time with Andrew, and Andrew's just on fire right now for God. He's like a sponge, and he's had some of that Egypt he's left behind in his people group. There really ought to be this thing where there's stones stacked up in his life. I mean, he was telling me that, I mean, often you guys can watch. He brings whole groups of people in here, invites them to church. Why? Because they look at him and Lonnie. Lonnie's radically different than she was, what, two years ago or a year ago, whatever it was, that, that, that God has actually not just delivered them, but he's injected them into a whole new life. And the neighbors, the, the relatives, the friend groups, they're like, holy cow, what are those stones doing there? Why did what, You don't carry those stones anymore. You stacked them up as a memorial. That's a testimony that we have. And I think sometimes we can have a Christian experience where we're either afraid to talk about that or we talk about it in the wrong way or maybe we just, yeah, I was born saved, you know, or whatever. There, there, there needs to be an understanding that there's some way in which God has set us apart from the way we used to be, and now we're not the same anymore. And by the way, this is the initial step of baptism. This is how you enter into eternal life. There's this turning away from the past and stepping into the future. That's it. But that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. Glory to God, there's so much more, and I can't wait to unpack them more, but I want to talk about this for a few minutes because it, it matters when... Um, uh, you know, I'd been in drug culture, been in bondage, you know, my parents, broken family, all this stuff. 
uh, when I was a teenager, and I'd heard the gospel, and my parents took me to every kind of church when I was a kid, and I was very angry and disillusioned. And, um, you know, I often tell the story, I mean, this is the level at which I was at. In my bedroom, there was no paint because it was all covered up by rock posters, you know, and like, not the, not the rock like Elvis. I mean, like, <laughs> like stuff that had gory images and stuff, you know. There was no place in my room uh, that wasn't a monument to my bondage and my slavery. And when I received Christ, it was in a, I, I hate to use the word deliverance setting, but how many of you know that Joshua's name, the, even the Exodus itself, means a deliverance, a removal of Egypt, of slavery and bondage into a new world? So I, was, I did get saved under a deliverance-type uh, environment. The, the people that my mom took me to that prayed for me, they were kind of the inner healing deliverance genre of people uh, or ministry there at the church. And, you know, it wasn't that they were calling out the spirit of this, that, and binding it and all that sort of thing. I, I saw plenty of that, but that wasn't how I received Christ. Or how I came to Christ, how I was born again, born into the kingdom, was that th- there I was, completely burnt out on drugs and all that. And my mom, I, I had had enough of my life. She convinced me that you were on a very destructive path, and I just couldn't stand it anymore. And God was calling me. It was even at Christmas time that God was calling me. She, she begged me, got me to, you know, I was always hungover on Sunday morning, like bad, you know, but she got me to go to church one Sunday morning around Christmas. And I saw the kids that I went to youth group with just three years prior, and they were so free and so alive. I've explained it like this before. It was like looking through a, a frosted window at another reality because I knew that I wasn't in we're going to call it the kingdom. I wasn't in the kingdom of God. In other words, I wasn't yielded to the will of God. He wasn't my king. I knew the story, but he wasn't my king. And I would lay there at night, and Jesus was so faithful to never leave me, I would imagine that he was my pillow, and I would talk to Jesus. But guess what? I couldn't get into the kingdom of God without actually saying, yes, I'll leave Egypt. And as a matter of fact, I'll leave Egypt behind. I was so bitter and broken because my parents and all the things that they did, and they're so awful and they're to blame. And so I'm just going to live it up in every kind of bad thing I can get back at him for. And I think that we do this, you know. Hurting people hurt people. We do ugly stuff because we're hurting inside. Well, you know what? God wants to remove all of that out of us. As a matter of fact, that's where we start from. For us to get into the promised land, we can't actually live in that life until we actually allow him to extract these things. And like I said, I don't want you to think it's a stair step. It is, a, it is kind of a foundation, but it's not a stair step because we can be 30 years into this deal and get triggered by something that happens or something somebody says, and you're like, what is that? So that it's a regular part of the life of the believer allowing uh, the deep work of the Holy Spirit through the church, through getting help to remove that that darkness, that brokenness, the, the remnants of, of Egypt off of us. We have freedom ministry here at the church. Linda, tell us out loud how they can get a freedom session. We have a team of amazingly powerful people that love so much, and they walk us through these things, because I don't know that we can do all of that on our own, and they're not calling out the devil or anything like that. It's, it's not like that. It's, it's a agreeing with God and, and walking through stuff that may be hanging around from our past, our childhood, whatever, that still keeps us from entering into the fullness of the life that God has for us. Does that make sense? As a Catch the Fire minister, I am actually required, every Catch the Fire minister is, if you have a uh, your first name, dot last name, at catchafire.com, you are required to once a year go through some level of inner healing. So whether it be freedom ministry or whatever. So I'm plugging that a little bit because it matters. It matters that we didn't just escape wrath and then we tend to hang out in a closet somewhere and never actually step into the story in the life of God. God wants you to live a life of fullness, a life of His amazing power. (laughs) Sign me up. Sign me up. 
you think we'd be running to let, let's get this done. But when I when I got when I was born again, uh, it was it was such a wonderful thing. You know, they didn't do a bunch of crazy stuff. They just asked me, and the the, the minister kept asking me, John, what do you want? Because I was um, just babbling. <laughs> I didn't honestly uh, from the drugs and stuff. I didn't really know how to relate to people or have an intelligent conversation. It was just nonsense. And, uh, but my spirit man heard him at some point after the, maybe it was the seventh time that he asked John, what do you want? Like, why are you here? I think it was really late at night too. And my mom convinced me that I needed it. And I finally broke and I just began to weep. And I said, I just want to be free. I want to be a Christian. I want to, I want to see on the other side. I want to be on the other side of that foggy glass. I want to actually be there with those kids I used to know that are living a life that is full and free. And he's like, now let's get down to business. And a lot of it had to do with just praying through stuff where they say, uh, how about this thing, this thing, and this thing? Yep, give me that. Okay, you can have it. And here, God wants to give you this. There's this exchange that happens. And, and I will never forget, I mean, part of it was that I had destroyed my body with chemicals. And they were prophesying over me and said, oh, man, God's saying right now that he wants to do something very unique. Excuse me for getting emotional. Very unique with you. I've not heard this before, but he's giving you a blood transfusion right now. He's giving you his very blood. And I felt it from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And as it hit each limb, everything felt regenerated. I mean, it felt clean. And all of a sudden, I'm in my right mind like the Gadarene demoniac. And I can speak in real sentences. Seriously. And they said, my son, you've come home. You've come home. And they brought out the robe. And he said, the father's putting his robe of righteousness on you right now. And he's giving you the scepter of authority and his kingdom and the signet ring. And I don't know what any of that means at that point, you know. I just know it felt good. And I got delivered. I mean, I walked outside after that and I was like, that's blue. The sky is actually blue. Trees are green. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when we're in bondage, our, all of our perceptors are wrong. We can't even see stuff. The beauty of God's new creation, we can't see it. But maybe through a stained glass dimly. And I could smell and I could taste and I was free. So I tell all that to say I had a whole friend group. I had a whole community of people that we did the you know, the head banging and we did the, the drugs and all the things that we did. And um, there I was, I went home and the Lord said, tear down these altars. And I completely ripped everything off the walls. Every poster, I took all of my rock tapes and you all have heard me say this before, but I just got to say it because it's beautiful. These are my stones. And I took all my tapes and I threw all that stuff in the trash, a big trash can out back out to the street. And I said, that's it. And I moved from that into my new life. And then I'm sitting there as a disciple in my bedroom reading the Bible. I'm inhaling it. I can't get enough. And I don't know what it's talking about. But I'm being moved by the Holy Spirit, moved by the story and the person of Jesus. And then the phone starts ringing. The phone rang off the hook for like three hours where I think everybody I knew I thought they must have been in a conference room together, but they weren't. Calling me, saying, come on, let's go out tonight. Tempting me. Let's go out tonight. The weed's on me tonight. The beer's on me tonight. The pop is on me. It's all on. Come on, man. Well, I mean, these are a bunch of freeloaders. That's not normal. And I knew. I, it was like I had to use my own, exercise my own faith at that moment to tell every single one of them, hey, I'm not going out tonight. I got saved. I received Jesus. I've got a, I'm sitting here reading the Bible. Hey, do you know the book of Matthew? Okay. <laughs> I got to testify to that whole system that God is alive and he's a redeemer and a rescuer. And a lot of them, you know, over time, they're like, man, that's respectable. That's straight up. We didn't believe you at first, but I never went back. Never went back to Egypt. 
God is so good. I am... Um, you know, those are some of my stones. That was my Jordan River experience where I crossed over. And that old, that old life, no longer me. But, you know, uh, sometimes in our Christian experience, we could still have some of that trying to come back around and get on us. And that's why it matters that we would take the steps, take the initiative when we feel something weird coming around, like, man, that's not, I'm saying weird stuff. I've got crazy emotions going on. I'm thinking things that I know I should know better than this. It's time to just take inventory and go, you know what? I'm going to go sweep, sweep the floor in a little bit. I'm going to go sign up for a freedom session. I'm going to go, uh, you know, reach out. I'm going to uh, be a part of a community group. That's why it matters that the Christian life is, is never a, a solo affair. It's always about you've been baptized, excuse me, immersed, repeatedly dipped into the life of God, which there's, guess what? You come up from the water and everybody goes, yeah, right? I mean, usually when you get baptized, it's what they did when I got baptized. I don't know that I put that together, but it's because I belong to them now. And they belong to me. And there's this, understanding that I'm not just over here, you know, I got my salvation. Now I'm going to go out in the world and try to figure out how to make this work. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't change the story just for you. It's going to be in alignment with the redemptive work of the story of the people of God over and over and over and over again. And it's through this father and son mentoring discipleship uh, model that is the restoration of all things. Jesus said, if you're able, after they saw him, Peter and James and John saw him transfigured on the mount. And they saw Elijah and Moses standing with him. And Peter loses his mind, doesn't know what to think about it. And Jesus asked that, well, they asked Jesus the question, well, wait a minute, I thought Elijah's got to come first. And Jesus says, I'm, this is where he says it again. I'm telling you right now, Elijah has come. But Elijah will come and he'll restore all things. In other words, the spirit of Elijah is this returning of the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the sons of the fathers. That's not just genetics. It's like kingdom genetics. It's discipleship. It is the very thing that will transform the world. That's what he told us to do. He didn't tell us to go get a bunch of people to sign a card. I mean, that's, a, that's an initial step. That's great. But we, if we do not disciple people, then we're just really just joking ourselves and we're just doing professional church. <sighs> Joshua 5.8. Let's look at a little more scripture. Joshua chapter 5. We're still looking at Gilgal here. Joshua chapter 5, uh, verse 8 through 12. So it was when they had finished circumcising all the people, say what, <laughs> that they stayed in their places in the camp till they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. This, that's an important sentence. This day I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Therefore, the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. So that's where they get the name Gilgal. It means a stone or a wheel of rolling. A wheel of rolling. We're on the, we're on the roll now. How about that gospel train now, huh? <laughs> this day I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt. Re reproach means like the, the disdain, the, the, uh, the ugliness, the, the shame, the the feeling of condemnation that, you know, I did do that. You know, sometimes we can talk about our testimony in such a way that we still feel guilty or dirty for that. I, I think for uh, probably good 10 years, maybe 15, until I got the word of God down inside of me, till I made the, took the initiative to go after the, what's out the windshield instead of the rearview mirror and feeling guilty for what I'd done, I lived in this weird sense of uh, almost being limited because I could never 
step back onto the place where God had for me to begin with. Now my story had been altered somewhere, and somehow. And, and even when I told my testimony, you know, because I worked in a shop, I worked on cars, I sweat and bled. And, and my understanding of that was, you know, still kind of this, well, you know, this is what I get for uh, telling jokes at school. <laughs> or not paying attention, you know, for throwing the eraser at the teacher and that sort of thing. You know, or actually it was the other way around. The teacher actually threw the eraser at me. But, um, you know, I felt like I'd done something to, to deserve this next. Yeah, I'm forgiven. I won't roast in hell. But the life that I now live, I'm somehow doing penance for my old life. I'm just saying that, that maybe all of you guys were just, you know, perfect and Jesus was an add-on, but... You know, for, for those of us that really made a mess of our life early, uh, you know, the, the next several years was me just kind of uh, living with that uh, shame, that reproach. Like, I, I literally was afraid that if I ever got, I don't know if famous is the right word, but began to make noise publicly, that all those people that used to know me that I had... Uh, been entangled with would rise up and say that fool isn't anything but a you know a no good you know two bit whatever you know we remember the story okay so a big part of Gilgal and as this pertains to our um, baptismal experience as a holistic experience of God and the Christian Christian uh, reality of salvation is that God actually removes every bit of that reproach. And I think that we need to know that as we get on the other side of the river and we make this decision for Christ, we make a decision for Christ that he is actually separating. He's separating you from that life. I was so paranoid that the people that in the drug culture that I was... Uh, messing around with that they were going to come get me. And it was a legit fear. I really did. I thought I'll never be able to really be outspoken or have much of a life because these guys are going to come get me. And, you know, the crazy thing about that was that I had visions because I would submit that irrational fear to the Lord. Well, I was actually kind of rational, but I, um, I would submit that to the Lord and I'd hear the voice of the Spirit speaking to me saying, I've got you, I've got Angels camped around you with fiery swords, protecting like they're protecting the Garden of Eden. They're actually protecting this new world that God had put me into, back into the gardens, so to speak. The kingdom of God is like stepping back into the garden. And I watched him fight those battles. Some of the people that I was engaged with, I just heard stories from afar. I, I just thought, no way, transmission's falling out on the highway all manner of things happening to them, just kind of like the Pharaoh, you know, all the plagues that came on Egypt as they, I will not let your people go. Oh, don't get in the way when God's delivering people. I'll tell you what, it's a bad idea. But there was this rolling away, and there's this rolling away of, of the reproach. There's this complete removal of even the smell of smoke from that fire that burned, that God desires for us to have no real trace of that that affects us in any way. Linda, what did you tell me? If, if our memories, if our memories are still painful, right? Or they create anger or fear, right? Then we need to be like raise the flag and go, there's still some reproach going on. Does that make sense? So if our memories still haunt us in any way or cause us to, to rise up in that way, then we need to spend just a little more time in Gilgal. And, you know, this, this thing that happened in Gilgal was that that whole generation, their parents didn't make it across the river, but that whole generation hadn't actually taken on the sign of covenant. So for them, circumcision was a sign of the covenant. They carried in their flesh the sign of the covenant. Now, how many of you know that the covenant that God makes with us pretty much all the weights on God. But yet in our very flesh, the idea of a covenant between God and man is that there be something about our physical life that is a 
separation. In the New Testament, it talks about cutting off the filth of the flesh as far as being the circumcision of the heart. What does that sound like? The reproach being rolled away from you. The, sometimes uh, if we don't allow the Lord to take that reproach, we may find ourselves with our foot back in that bear trap of stuff we used to do. My dad, shortly, well, I know it wasn't shortly. I'd been saved for uh, a decade and was repairing the relationship with my dad. And when he came back around, he started talking about handing over inheritance, you know, which made me nervous because he always used that as a manipulative tool. But he talked about maybe me being embraced by the Pignatelli side of the family and coming back over. And I thought, well, that's an awkward thing to say because we've been doing real good for about five years. I've got a wife and kids in a house, and I go to church, and I serve at my church every week. And he said, yeah, I'm just not so convinced that you won't go back to your old life and do drugs anymore. And it destroyed me to hear my dad say that. And God used that conversation, though, because I thought, I have been faithful. I mean, it might have been 15 years into my life as a believer. I mean, I hadn't, I never went back at all to any of it. I mean, not a whiff of it. So for anybody to say that about, matter of fact, my reputation then by everybody that knew me was like, this guy loves God. You know, this guy is on fire. That's just, that's the, the John that they encountered, much like the Andrew and Lonnie that people are encountering now. It, they are not who they were. I hope that's okay to say that, right? Yeah, because I'm proud of you guys. It's, it's absolutely real. And it's your flesh, I mean, your physical bodies bear the mark of the Lord Jesus Christ by the fact that you're now crossed over. You're not who you were before. Amen? And this is just the beginning. This is the first stop is Gilgal. It's the very first place where their feet stepped on on the other side of the baptismal waters of the Jordan. Amen? But yeah, that, you know, that, that was hard for me to swallow with dear old dad, you know? And, and I remember that I processing in the presence of the Lord, I said, he doesn't believe in me. And the Lord said, how's that feel? How's that feel to be in a deep relationship with someone that is so dear to you? And out of the abundance of the heart and mouth speaks. Every idle word you say will be judged. What does that mean? It means that what's really going on in there, by bloop, it comes out of your mouth and, hey, you gave yourself away. You just wave the flag of what you're really thinking. Now, obviously, maybe it was a weak moment for him or something, or maybe he was playing head games with me. I don't know. But the Lord used that to actually challenge me to say, do you believe in me? Because, you know, I'd had the... Oh, I believe in God. You know, there's, there's a way in which we can do that where it just gets real gray. Do you all agree? Is everybody okay? I'm almost done. I got one more point at least. So this idea of, of rolling away, the, 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 the word, very word Gilgal, the rolling uh, wheel, this rolling away of reproach. God has rolled that off of us. As children of God, he's actually removed us from even any trace of our past. And yet there is a monument, there are stones there forever to say, look what God did on the other side of the river. Here's the good news. We are not just, it's about separation. So the subject matter of rolling off reproach is about separation. The good news is that you have not just been separated from your past. You've been separated unto God. That separation is that you step into, you've been separated into the story of God. You've actually been separated into his very life. Somebody shout hallelujah or amen or something. I mean to tell you, it's not that he just takes that stuff off of you. He didn't just spare you from wrath. No, he also delivered you. He didn't just take you and deliver you, he removed even the memory of it that he remade your memories so that everything through the lens of God that he wastes nothing. But even better that he's, he separated you to something. We have been separated into the kingdom of God. And how many of you know this language of separation, even the circumcision and all that is consecration. It means that you were actually saved for the purpose 
of being set apart for the activity and life of God, that God's very story, all the treasures of heaven have actually been given to you so that you can walk in his footsteps. Not just so that you could be spared and struggle bus, I'm trying to make it. No, he's actually invited you in and actually placed you into his very story. And it's not different or separated from any activity that he's ever done. When he started talking to Abraham, he was looking at you. He's like, Pastor John, why are you so adamant about this stuff? Can't we just be one big happy family? Yeah. I'm saying that there is something about our experience. The spirit of Elijah involves us actually taking some initiative to embrace what God is doing. He doesn't make you do anything. What kind of a God would do that? Be like micromanage and do and have puppets. He doesn't like that. That's not what he's about. He entrusts us with stuff. I know he's got all the time in the world, but he's just ready. It's like Elijah, as he moves on, the Lord told me, I got to go to Bethel from Gilgal. I can't stay in Gilgal. Next week we'll talk. No, next week's Christmas. Next time I bring this up, we'll talk about Bethel. It's the house of God. I think I'm about done. Uh, God rolls away our past bondage and the threat of returning, even the desire to return. That's when we know that the reproach has been rolled away, where there's just no craving or desire. I love what C.S. Lewis, Matthew Benavides, how does he say that? If, if I have this craving or desire for things that I can't express, that I must be created for another world. You know, so, so often when you feel this void and there's some sort of craving or desire that, you know, we start filling it with food or with perverted things or whatever, and that never satisfies. You're like, why can't I just be content? It's because there's something about that world that you were created for. God's new creation that we step into, the promised land, the place where God dwells with us. Problem is, as we move into Bethel, the house of God, is that maybe we haven't developed an appreciation for the things of God. We think those are over there. Those are holy, holy, holy. Sometimes when we sing songs like, you're holy, 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 what we're really saying is you're over there. No one's like you. You're over there. You're just so holy. I mean, I can't get in there. No, God's actually decided to put you into the house of God and to separate you to himself, which means making you holy. <laughs> he makes you holy too. That's why he says, be holy as I am holy. It's not about being picky perfect. It's about being separated for his use, for his story, for his purposes. Does that make sense? Hey, man, I think we're, yeah, we're about done. We, oh, I'm sorry, Caleb. I, I, I think that there's, there's an anointing of the Holy Spirit in this place to, to I mean, I know we do the, these exercises. You got to understand that the thing about the baptismal water, I, I always had a problem with the preacher telling me, well, baptism's all about obedience, you know, and they, Correlated to the story of Naaman the leper. You know, if you just get in the water, then mysterious things happen. I, 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 that's not really the right way to look at that. Baptismal water of getting baptized is understanding that you're actually stepping into the life of God in this whole new world, that you're leaving behind your old life and coming to a new one. And for us now, there's this process that we can repeatedly go to to just leave the baggage behind. And the baptismal experience of getting wet is just a prophetic act. It's just physically using your body, your flesh, to step into a very deep reality that has just begun. Amen? So there's ways in which we can participate in our baptism that's not getting wet. That's why Jesus didn't baptize anybody. How many know Jesus didn't baptize anybody? That's right. And he was the rabbi that baptized everybody but he didn't baptize anybody physically in water. 
His disciples baptized people in water. He baptized with what? The Holy Spirit in fire. <laughs> but it's, Paul says there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Wait a minute. I thought we got to make steps out of this. And No, guys. Are we understanding what I mean by baptism is a holistic experience? That to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is to be immersed in the very life of God? To be brought into his story? It's not me and then some of that. No, it's, he wants everything about us to be a part of the work and the mission and the life and the love and the deliverance and the freedom of God. Is that not the best thing you ever heard? <laughs> it is to me. It is to me. You guys know I'm passionate about it, and I can't stop with this gospel thing, but I think that we have an opportunity this morning in the Holy Spirit to just go ahead and dump some stuff, stack some stones, if you will, nail it to the cross, whatever you want to do, and if you're good or if you're not good and you're like, I'm not doing that here because that may be really pretty funky, we can just set you up. Go to theconsumedchurch.com. Go to the events button and pull down freedom and set up a freedom session. And if you need me, I will eat with you till the cows come home. Schedule an appointment. <laughs> oh, I love you guys so much. Thank you for allowing me to get animated for a few minutes. I love the gospel. And I think it's so worth a little more effort than just cutting it short. I did. Okay, why don't we stand up? Prayer team, I think even our freedom team, these wonderful servants of God that have given their life to study, to, do, to develop, to learn the skills of how to lead people in freedom, they're here, they'll be available at the front to pray over you and even give you more information about what that may look like if, if you'd like a freedom session. I personally believe everybody should have some inner healing every year just like I have to. But that's not a commandment or a requirement. It's just a really good idea. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.